Okay, YouTube is cranking up, and it's just about the top of the hour. Let us know if oh. you can hear us on YouTube. Weather on the nines and traffic on the tens. Woohoo! Uh, oh, uh, P- uh, DJ uh-huh. uh, Matthew posted a picture of pumpkin cream pie. Are you a fan of oh. pumpkin pie? Oh my lord! Yes. Yeah, um, me too. M- Mom had a brief chapter in um our home life where she thought she would try to be healthy and um we we started having sort of a custard version of pumpkin cream pie so no crust and you know if you wanted um any whip topping you had to get your own <laughs> right 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 once i made a pumpkin pie from an actual pumpkin i yeah. did not go out and get canned pumpkin i got a pumpkin mm-hmm. And all the straining that you have to do to get all the fibers out of it uh-huh. was absolutely exhausting. Oh. And I, and I, you know, I, I came out with the pie, and it was fine. But I, I, after that, I said, yeah, I think I'll just buy a can of pumpkin <laughs> the next time. I'm not going to get a pumpkin to really make pumpkin pie not gonna do it you know uh i i have allegedly had a scratch pumpkin pie before and from what i remember of it i mean it was tasty but i didn't make it so you know i don't know about the sweat blood and tears that went into it but i just remember thinking pumpkin's supposed to be orange and this is kind of a rusty brown because it was real pumpkin yeah, yeah, yeah. And after you put the spices in and you bake it. Yeah, a rusty brown, that's a good way to describe it. Uh was and that wasn't that also your nickname in college? But um, ah, um. that was my <laughs> You know. All righty. Well, um uh, let's see here who do we have in ye old uh, auditorium tonight. So far it's just us chickens and we are, have been uh, blessed uh, if you want to use that term. With our uh, boy from the Golden Coast, there, of course, not quite the coast, but a little far in, a little bit further inland. Yeah, uh, but you know, uh, Matt is out there, very near uh, Modesto, mm-hmm. where this movie, you know, kind of, it wasn't exactly actually shot there, but it's supposed to take place in Modesto, hmm. and uh, Matt, Matt's out that way. Uh, so we should, uh, yeah, 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 we should, uh, get a move on. All right, so here we go. Good evening, and welcome to the beautiful, historical Marionette Theater. Tonight we're going to be discussing an early to mid-70s drama. I don't think it's quite a comedy, but there's quite a bit of adventure involved. It's got a bunch of youngins who are deciding where they fit in in life. And, uh, well, stay tuned. Listen to the conversation and you might learn something. Grab your seats. The show is about to begin. Well, good evening. How are you this fine night, Mr. Smelly? 
sounded good because the temperatures turned down, and we are now at a reasonable, uh, autumnal temperature. Thank you very much. Oh, quite so. I mean, it, there there was a time when we used to call this something that's sort of racist, but I've been told it's okay to call it El Nino. So we had a hot spell for a little while there, and I will tell you what, I had some pretty good timing with my uh, my um, yard work because I did the mowing and then like right that night it started downpouring. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, did you get the mowing done? Oh, I did. Um, but you know, there's an interesting thing that happens when it's been cool out and then it gets hot. Uh, all the bugs decide that they're going to try to come in. And, um, well, they were trying to come into my office on my week of working at home. And I'll tell you what, it was like a scene from Ghostbusters, Toppy. I had the vacuum right here in my office, and I was sucking up those damn bugs as they were invading my space. Uh huh. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yep, yep. Uh, indigenous people summer, uh, Matt says. Mm, yeah. Perhaps. Uh, all right. Well, uh, let's uh, let's get this underway. You know, I I, I should say that uh, we we talked about how some of our selections are because of that, um, you know, video store that's attached to our little multiplex here. But uh, I, it should also be noted that our senior showgirl is partly responsible for some of our titles because you know back in the day and. I hear this is on the what they call the DL, the down low. Uh, Gertie's mom actually used to sneak into the theater with her eight millimeter. So these some of these films that we talk about, <laughs> they never got out on tape. Well, there's a reason we're able to talk about them because they're in a private collection. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, yes, infamous uh, private collection. Uh, but G- Gertie uh, does have a thing or two to say about this movie. Uh, Gertie, come on in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, you know, I should have been cast in this movie. I could have been Cindy Williams. I don't care what anyone says. I was the perfect age. Well, give or take a decade. But anyways, could have done it. And just another movie role I lost out on. Hmm. I could have sworn you were the blonde in the car that drove away. <laughs> no, no, they based it on me. Oh. Lu- Lucas based it on me, but wouldn't hire me directly anyways. It's a thing. Yeah. Mm, that's where the hush right. money comes in. Well, yeah, yeah. Madeer, uh, if you could get downstairs there, the folks are anxious and waiting. Kind of like the kiddos at the, uh, you know, those car hop places like in tonight's yeah. movie. Yeah. Listen, kid, I lived it. Okay, I'm going down, and I'll get this uh, shinding started. Here we go. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. There she goes. Kurt is the good son who's always done what's expected of him. He even got a scholarship from his dad's friends at the Moose Lodge. But he's having second thoughts about college. Meanwhile, Steve and Lori are at odds because Steve plans to go away for school. 
Tonight's film is about a group of teenagers in the early 60s trying to figure out where they fit in, all while just trying to enjoy a night out with friends. So roll up them jean cuffs and grab your college brochures. It's time for American Graffiti with Richard Dreyfuss and Ron Howard. Take it away, fellas. What do you get when you take a dash of the silver screen? A pinch of golden oldies and a smidgen of screaming. It's time for Matinee Minutia with your host, DJ and Tommy. Okay. Well, so, you know, um, there are some kind of important things about uh, today and sort of this day in history. You know, Toppy, 95 years ago, not quite a century, but we've had it long enough. 95 years ago today, the release of The Jazz Singer. Oh, my. And this was one of the first feature-length talkies. You know, they had sound and picture and uh, had Al Jolson in it. Now, um, of course, also something important about today, if you if you lived through the 80s, because, you know, I, I was barely there myself, um, that that gal that was the, uh, the babysitter in Adventures in Babysitting, Elizabeth Shue, well, she's just a few years off from retirement. She turns 60 today. Okay, I could have done without that. <laughs> could have done without that one, DJ. Hey, Toppy, I have not even hit the uh, the mid-century mark, and AARP is sending me things with the wrong name, but still sending me things. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, the wrong name. Okay, that's funny. Uh, did they mix up your real name with uh, your married name? Is that what happened? Kind of, but it was a version of my name that I've never used. Wow. How interesting. Where did right. I get that from? I know. I mean, some people are creative enough that they fill out those, you know, uh, prize things in stores and stuff and use a fake name so that when you start getting mail, you know what mailing list they got it from. But yeah, I don't know. Yeah. But uh, we yeah. we lost a star from tonight's film earlier in the year, and I've been trying to find an excuse to pay tribute. Well, Cindy Williams is in the cast of this film tonight, and we lost her in January of this year at the age of 75, and uh, apparently it was after a short illness. So, you know, the way of the world right now, uh, she she may not have had a, a health condition and then just got maybe exposed to something. But anyways... Um, Let's see here. And her co-star in Laverne Shirley has also passed, so. Yes. Uh, which just, you know, goes to show you just how long ago all this stuff was, um, which always shocks me. Always shocks me. DJ, you know, now maybe, maybe now, do we have a trailer? We do. Let's we should re- play it. And it should be noted that this is not the original trailer. Now, a lot of trailers from films from this time and earlier were heavy on action. So for audio purposes, you really would not have been able to have told what went on in these scenes. So I have picked a, uh, a more recent version of a trailer that talks you through some of it. And here we go. American graffiti. Uh, 
you in 62. special one and jump into your candy-colored custom or your screaming machine, cruise downtown and catch American Graffiti. American Graffiti? Baby, what's that? It's a movie. Can you dig it? Can you dig it? Go back in time. Where were you in 62? Is that you in that beautiful car? Jeez, what a waste of machinery. One, two, three o'clock, four o'clock, rock. Five, six, seven o'clock, eight o'clock, rock. 10, 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock, rock, we're gonna rock around the clock tonight. What, what did you say? Someone wants me. Someone roaming the streets wants me. And I bet you're smart enough to get us some brew. A ballpoint pen, a pint of old Harper. Okay, you got an ID for the liquor? Not until I left the car. You'll have to get it before. Oh, well, I, I also, I forgot the car. We're finally getting out of this turkey town. You just can't stay 17 forever. You never get tired of going steady with somebody that ain't around. I'm up for grab. Well, that'll be the day. If I had a boyfriend, he'd pound you. What's wrong? Get your boogaloos out, baby. The Wolfman is everywhere. You know Toby Juarez? We killed him last night. Excuse me, I think we've had an accident. Well, I won't report you this time, but next time just watch it, will you? I can dig it. It's one of those great old movies about romance, racing, and rock and roll. Oh, American Graffiti. American Graffiti. Where were you in 62? Okay, that was a trailer for the film for tonight from 1973, American Graffiti. Now, you might have heard some fairly distinctive voices in there. The narration was done by Wolfman Jack, who was a a very well-known radio DJ at the time there. So it certainly sets the tone for uh, nostalgia and for something of the past. And uh, along those lines, Toppy, I think you've got something to say about, uh, you know, talking about the past. Well, um, you may be alluding to something we talked about, but too vague for me, DJ. I'm not sure what you're asking. What happened in the world the year this film came out? We're going to <sighs> okay. That's what you wanted me to say. All right. Yes. yes. Okay. Yep. So talking about 1973. What was going on in the world, DJ? All right. U.S. history in 1973. 
Well, Elvis Presley's concert in Hawaii is the first worldwide telecast by an entertainer, watched by more than the Apollo moon landings. In 73, President Richard Nixon announced a suspension of offensive action in North Vietnam. Oh, things to come. U.S. involvement ends and prisoners of war are released as a result. The U.S. Supreme Court overturned state bans on abortion, Roe versus Wade. Yeah, uh, don't blink and fall asleep because that practically didn't happen now. The first handheld cellular phone call is made by Martin Cooper in New York City in 1973. And the World Trade Center, the Twin Towers, well, they officially opened in New York City after a long period of construction. There was a ribbon-cutting ceremony. And lastly, possibly the most positive thing to come out of 1973, after generations and generations of stigma and stereotype, the American Psychiatric Association removed homosexuality from Basically, it's guidebook. Yay. About time. All right. Celebrity voice. Uh, this is 1973. Who, 73. Who was born in 73? Why? Uh, Neil Patrick Harris. That seems weird. <laughs> he seems too young to have been born in 73. But okay. He was the child star in Doogie Hauser. Went on to be in How I Met Your Mother. Juliet Lewis. Uh, actress, uh, the second to portray Audrey in the Chevy Chase vacation films, yeah. And uh, Chris, uh, uh, Kristen Wiig, she's a New York native, you know. Uh, notable, notable for formerly starring uh, in Saturday Night Live and Gal Gadot's co-star in Wonder Woman in 1984. Dave Chappelle, born in 73, doesn't seem possible, really. Outspoken po- comic and transphobe. Okay. <laughs> Outspoken comic and transphobe. Uh, there's some, uh, yeah. There, anyways, Mario Lopez, former teen star Saved by the Bell from 89 to 93, unfaithful womanizer, conservative, and Hallmark Channel movie whore. <laughs> Someone was editorializing while writing this shit. DJ, do you want to say something about I, what I just read? I might have put a word or two in the toppy's mouth, and I figured, you know... While we're spilling the tea, you might as well be honest about people <laughs> in history. And, you know, uh, Mario Lopez, he can be, um, you know, easy on the eyes. But um, if I were single, I, I I wouldn't be giving him the time of day. <laughs> All right. Good enough. Good enough, DJ. So in the movie and the theaters, uh, our movie came out. And uh, tell us, like, uh, what was the competition? Uh, what was vying for American Graffiti's attention? Okay. So, uh, American Graffiti was a theatrical release. It was a movie in the theaters, in the cinema, whatever you want to call it, on the silver screen. And uh, let's see here. What time of the year did this come out? I forgot to look that up in advance. I'm just going to look real quickly here. And it's going to tell me, maybe... Oh, yes, it was a summer film. It came out in August 
of 73. So it was a date night movie. Well, uh, we like to tell you about the films that were at the top of the box office and were, you know, one that enjoys the hits that fell from the box office. Uh, yeah, mostly. <clears throat> So, um, the top of the box office in 73, number one, starring favorite screen actor Alan Burstyn and Linda Blair, and Max von Sydow, who's played many an intriguing character. The Exorcist in 73 brought in $109 million in 1973 okay. money. That was number one. Mm -hmm. Number two, what was number two? Number two, well, if you can imagine the pairing on this cast, Robert Redford and Paul Newman, and uh, a little-known character actress that I enjoy, Eileen Brennan, oh, in, yeah. in a film called The Sting, which brought in $90.1 that year. Super popular. And number remember, three. And remember, we're talking about 70s money, folks, so, you know... In today's money, that would have been like double that. So, yeah. uh, in number three, okay, um, I think we need to have seatbelts installed in the theater, Toppy. Yeah, yeah. Because we picked American Graffiti for tonight, and it was number three in the box office. Whoa! Whoa! I know. I think I I had to check because I thought I fell and hit my head, but it's true. It yeah. brought in sixty four point nine million that year. Oh my god! Well, so we kind of picked a winner, anyways. American Graffiti was tremendously successful, and it set George Lucas up for the rest of his life, basically. So let's talk about the director. Of American Graffiti, George Lucas. There's a hell of a lot to say about him, right? I mean, I mean, his name is synonymous with all the blockbusters of the last thirty years. Uh, but let's start. Let's start with his real name, George Walton Lucas Jr. Mm -hmm. Yeah, born in 1944. That's a hell of a long time ago. Of course, he's best known for creating Star Wars and Indiana Jones franchises and founding Lucasfilm and founding LucasArts and founding Industrial Light and Magic and founding THX. Well, he's just one of history's most financially successful filmmakers that ever was. He's been nominated for four Academy Awards. He's personally directed or conceived 10 of the 100 highest grossing movies at the North American box office adjusted for inflation. And he's considered to be one of the most significant picture, figures of the 20th century new Hollywood movement. Uh, that's what all happened in the late 60s, early 70s, folks, when the young kids just said we ain't gonna do movies the way the studios have been doing them we're gonna be different we're gonna be unique so that's the new hollywood movement and uh for the most part lucas has remained an independent uh, filmmaker uh away from hollywood for the rest of his career he was born and raised in modesto California, where our movie takes place tonight, although it wasn't exactly filmed there in reality. 
Uh, Lucas recalls attending, get this, attending Disneyland during its opening week hmm. in July 1955. Now, wouldn't you just know Lucas would have been there for that? Because that's all about magic and fantasy. Did, wouldn't you just know? Uh, he was he was this dorky kid interested in comic books and science fiction and television programs and like the Flash Gordon serials. And uh, well, long, long, long before Lucas ever became ever began making films, Lucas wanted to be a race car driver. In a lot of ways, folks. American greedy, American greedy, yeah, <laughs> American greedy, uh, American graffiti is very autobiographical for Lucas. This was his life. This was all the kids' lives back then. But this was Lucas's scene. He cruised those streets. He loved cars. He wanted to be a race car driver. And he spent most of his high school years racing around on underground circuits at fairgrounds and hanging out at garages, tinkering on cars. Oh, my God. Just, I mean, gee, you know, this is what kids did back then. <laughs> uh, by the way, uh, if you were a tinkerer on cars, you would wear your belt on your jeans uh, inside out. In other words, you wouldn't have your buckle on the outside why not you would have you would reverse it so it was on the inside because when you were leaning over your car you didn't want your belt buckle to scratch up your car jesus don't you guys know nothing anyways <gasps> uh here's one of the things uh that i think is fascinating about lucas it was a few days before his high school graduation uh, Lucas was doing what he usually did. He was driving around fast in a souped-up car. And another driver broadsided him. His car flipped several times before it crashed into a tree. The only reason Lucas survived was that his seatbelt snapped and he was ejected before the tree. And his life was saved, but he required emergency medical treatment. This was his come to Jesus moment where he was this crazy high school kid working on cars. He's then put near to death. And after that, he has to decide, where the fuck do I fit in? What am I going to do with the rest of the life? What does life even fucking mean? And that's when Lucas started to plan on going to an art school. And shortly thereafter, he declared to everyone who knew him that he'd be a millionaire by the age of 30. He attended Modesto Junior College. He studied anthropology, science, uh, sociology, and literature, other subjects. He also got hooked up with an 8mm camera, and he started shooting films. Mostly of car races. And he had a friend, John Plummer. And the two of them became interested in Canyon Cinema. These were screenings 
of underground avant-garde 16 millimeter films of the time, European films of the time. And Lucas would look at him and say, what the hell? And this was as non-Hollywood as he could get. He loved what he was seeing. He decided that he would transfer to the University of Southern California School of Cinematic Arts. USC was one of the earliest universities to have a school devoted to motion picture film. Lucas is right where he needed to be at right the right time. Guess who he became good friends with? Well, just this other kid at the school called Steven Spielberg. Well, Lucas continued to see many inspiring films from Europe and people making 16-millimeter non-story, non-character, weird cinema verite movies. He loved it. He wanted to make those kinds of movies. He wanted to make films that created emotions purely through non-narrative structures. So, 1969, Lucas uh, hooked up with another guy you might know, Francis Ford Coppola. Yeah, and they founded, way back then, American Zeotrope, a, uh, an environment for filmmakers to direct outside the Hollywood studio system. They were getting it together. They were young and in charge and getting it together. Their first product uh, film, THX 1138, a science fiction movie. And boy, you want to look at that movie and talk about non-narrative, weirdo, European influences. That's what this movie looked and felt like. And uh, it sort of was, uh, well, there were critics that said, well, this is interesting. Who's this guy? Uh, But it was a flop. It didn't make any money. Um, Lucas then created his own company way back then, way back then. He created Lucasfilm Limited. And guess what he did? He made American Graffiti, 1973. Uh, I want to tell you about his girlfriend and then wife, uh, Marcia, who was a major force in the creation of both American Graffiti and Star Wars and Star Wars uh, sequels. She was an editor. She was great at editing. and She was also a great writer. And she was also great at taking the crap that Lucas dished out and making sense of it and of course here's where i get down on lucas he'd never give her credit never never gave her credit but she saved his ass over and over again by cleaning his shit up because he was sloppy but she got it done and she's basically responsible for star wars making sense for american graffiti making sense But you don't hear about her anymore because he divorced her ass when he was done with her. And, you know, this is, this is, you know, here we go. Anyways, it makes me sick. Anyways, hi, it's me. I'm okay. And 
Uh, so we all know his his next was Star Wars, and he went on, and he got bigger and bigger, and Temple of Doom with Steven Spielberg and Raiders and all that jazz. And it was just like slim, slam, slum. And uh, by the way, his old ex-wife, you know, left in the dust. Anyways, who cares, right? Anyways, okay, I'm done. That's George Lucas. (laughs) Here we go. It's interesting that he ended up selling his empire to the Mouse House when uh, he was there at the first week of Disneyland. Yeah. Anyways, uh... So there you go. Good or bad. That's George Lucas, blah, blah. Uh, who? Let's talk about the cast. DJ. Oh, well, you know what? We are oh. at about the halfway mark in our show this evening. So we're going to step on over here to the snack bar. And uh, fair warning, folks, in light of tonight's movie, Gertie is going around the place in roller skates. Ha ha ha! It's fun! Whoop! Oh, dear. That was bad. Whoa, Uh, she handled that tray like a pro. So we're going to get an interview with uh, Lucas, right? Yeah, this is the American Film Institute, and George Lucas is talking about American graffiti. Guarantee you he won't mention his ex-wife at all. But anyway, go ahead. The alimony, here we go. I guess the, the anthropologist side of me never went away, and I was very interested in the fact that in the 70s, um, uh, when I was working uh, in the film industry, obviously we've been through the 60s, and that whole innocence of the 50s, the mating rituals of the 50s, the uniquely American mating rituals of meeting uh, the opposite sex in, car, sex in cars uh, was very fascinating to me. I really liked uh, this kind of lost... Uh, ritual that had gone on in the United States between 1940 and uh, you know basically the beginning of the 60s, and I saw the beginning of the 60s as a real transition uh, in uh, the culture, uh, in the way because of the Vietnam War and all the things we were going through, uh, and I wanted to make a movie about it, and um, I had always. Uh, 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 like the idea of uh, Fellini's film Vitelloni, which is kind of the same issue about growing up and about you know taking responsibility and moving out of the house and that whole trauma. Uh, and um, it was one of the themes that was in my first film THX, and I wanted to expand on it. Francis had said, you know, why don't you do a you know a regular movie, you know, because THX was pretty uh, out there for a theatrical film. And uh, Fran said, you can do a regular movie. Why don't you do a comedy? Why don't you do something that's really accessible to people? And so American Graffiti was the closest thing I could think of to an accessible movie. Um, And the problem was that the studios didn't see it that way. Uh, They said it was, you know, not about anything. Uh, There was no story. Um, You couldn't tell four different stories and cut them up like that to where you intercut them and they weren't related to each other. They said that was impossible. Uh, they said you couldn't put that much music in a movie. It was just, you can't just have a music track going through the whole thing. Uh, there were a lot of issues that were very controversial at the time that kept it from being made. And um, for, so for two years, I struggled to get it off the ground and get it made. And finally, um, I got a studio to approve the project. They liked the script. They wanted me to do it. Uh, but they needed a name to go with it. And then Francis came back after doing The Godfather and said, I'll 
you know, stand up and be the producer on it. Then I panicked and realized that I needed a better script and hired some friends of mine to rewrite it and make it work. Uh, well, I spent a great deal of time casting. I, I worked for about six months seeing thousands of kids, you know, have them just come through one after the other, talk to them for about two minutes, get a sense of who they are, then narrow that down to a bigger group that I would bring back and talk to uh, in more depth and then eventually do readings and then eventually go into doing screen tests. Um, and uh, in that process, sort of weeded out, and I would do screen tests with different groups of people working in, with different people. So I was really looking for an ensemble cast. I was really looking for a group and how they would react to each other and how they fit together as a, as a group rather than individually. Well, I think the hardest thing was that it was all at night. You know, it was a very short schedule. It was 28 nights, um, and uh, it was short in that the sun went down at 9 o'clock at night, came up at 5 o'clock in the morning. That made me a very short day. Uh, and then I only had, you know, 28 of them. So it was a very, very, very fast and short schedule, especially considering it was all on location with cars that broke down and all the other drama that would go on in that kind of situation. So it was a, it was a, just physically a very difficult thing to get through. Um, you know, considering the, his uh, history there with philanthropy, if you will, um, and him mentioning the sex in cars, that just made me kind of snicker. I have to ask, I have to wonder, since uh, Matt in the chat room has, uh, you know, given us the nickname for Modesto as Hodesto, I have to wonder... If that guy you see on the apps that's Sugar Daddy 1138 is actually Mr. Lucas in disguise. Oh, did I say that out loud? Oh, shit. I had my microphone all off all that time. You missed all the wit and wisdom that I had in conjunction with what you just said. <laughs> Anyways, uh, make no mistake, uh, what you saw in American Graffiti was all about car culture and all about sex and cars. Make no mistake. They didn't depict it, uh, but that's what it was about. But I before we go on, I want to go back to what to what Matt uh, from uh, the Big Gay Sex Show and Chubb's Gone Wild two podcasts he does. I want to, he went he talked about milk and Pepsi mm-hmm. as a beverage together. Okay, well I think on Laverne and Shirley one of them they were famous for loving milk and Coke or milk and Pepsi. And all I got to say is I've had like a root beer float, right, which is just ice cream, milk, Uh frozen, and a soda. And it all fizzes up and gets very fizzy and blucky, and somehow it's actually good. I don't know. But I have never taken milk and a Coke and put it together and (laughs) drank it. Never. Never. Yeah. So, Toppy, you were alluding to the fact that there is a bunch of people who came together uh, to make this film tonight. And I thought I would start off that conversation. We're going to talk about the the first guy on the screen who you, you start learning their story. 
it's a very young Mr. Richard Dreyfus now. Oh, he's so young. Yeah, see, he plays a character who we just know as Kurt. And, uh, well, Richard Dreyfus was born and raised in Brooklyn, New York. His parents were a restaurateur and an attorney and then an activist. That's not three people, folks. It wasn't that modern of a marriage. The dad was a restaurateur and an attorney, and his mom was an activist. Now, Richard Dreyfuss began acting on television during the mid-60s, with appearances on such shows as Gidget, you know, the thing that started Sally Field's career. He was also on an episode of Bewitched, and a personal favorite, That Girl, Marlo Thomas's show. Now, American Graffiti was the er the early days of his career. It was actually only his fourth film. And just prior, in the same year, in 73, he would appear in a film called Dillinger. And this is a, a mobster movie alongside Cloris Leachman, of all people, and Harry Dean Stanton. Wow. And Dreyfus would appear in eight films over the next five years. Now, in 74, he would appear along with Jack Warden, who was later known as the grandfather in the problem child films of the 90s, and in The Apprentice of Duddy Kravitz in 74. And in 75, well, he shared the screen with up-and-coming Roy Scheider in a, a box office uh, smash there, Jaws. And in 77, he uh, got another notch on that box office smash. He got in with Terry Garr in a film called Close Encounters of the Third Kind. And this was a Steven Spielberg film, if you haven't seen it, folks. Legendary to this day. And in 77, he was also in a film with Marsha Mason, one of my personal favorites, in The Goodbye Girl. And this was originally based on a Neil Simon play. Oh, I love that movie. Yes. And by 1986, Dreyfus would be cast in the iconic Down and Out in Beverly Hills with Bette Midler. Call 911! Yes. Call 911! <laughs> oh, okay. uh, Down and Out in Beverly Hills was directed by the guy who did 1984's Moscow on the Hudson, which got Robin Williams onto the silver screen. And this was Mr. Paul Mazurki. And in 86, Richard Dreyfus would appear in Rob Reiner's, yes, that guy from All in the Family, Rob Reiner's second film, which we discussed in a past episode here on Matinee Minutia, Stand By Me. Yeah, he was the narrator. Mm-hmm. And by the mid-90s, Dreyfus would team up with Rob Reiner again, this time portraying a senator in The American President, which featured Michael Douglas and Annette Benning. And that year, Dreyfus would also appear in the lead of Mr. Holland's Opus, a personal favorite, about a composer who becomes a high school music teacher, for which he'd receive an Academy Award nomination for Best Actor that year. Now, um, there's a movie from the 90s that I want to give a, a honorable mention, and it's called, let me just quickly pick it up here, because I forgot about this one real quick. Richard Dreyfus 90s. Um, it's uh, something about Brooklyn is in the title, and uh, it's a really, really great movie, especially if you have fond memories 
of any elders in your family, like your grandparents, if you were lucky enough to have them in your lives for oh. any amount of time. Um, let's see. This was lost. To, oh, I'm sorry. Different borough. Lost in Yonkers. And this okay. has Mercedes Rule, who was the mom in the Karate Kid movies. But uh, the storyline of Lost in Yonkers was in the summer of 42. Two young boys are sent to stay with their stern grandmother and their childlike aunt in New York. And Richard Dreyfus is the father who left the kids off. So a really okay. good movie, deserves a watch, especially if you're a Richard Dreyfus fan. And the grandmother, my goodness, um, I'm forgetting her name, but uh, she should have gotten an Oscar for this. Anyways, by the 2000s, Richard Dreyfus began work uh, working more in television. He would appear in the TV movie The Day Reagan Was Shot in 2001, in which he'd portray U.S. Army General Alexander Haig, who was the White House Chief of Staff at the time. And then in 2007, he would have a role in the sci-fi channel's Tin Man, which was a Wizard of Oz-inspired series, along an up-and-coming artist, Zoe Deschanel, and Alan Cumming. By 2010, he would have a series of appearances on Showtime's Weeds, show about an ant, uh, an enterprising housewife in Southern California starring up-and-coming Mary Louise Parker, who some of you may know from Fried Green Tomatoes, among other things. And in 2011, Dreyfus had four appearances in the NBC series Parenthood, which, of course, starred Craig T. Nelson and the lovely Lauren Graham. More recently, Dreyfus has appeared in Murder at Yellowstone City in 2022, Storyline of that was a former slave arrives in Yellowstone City, Montana, a desolate far former boomtown now on the decline, looking for a place to call home. On that same day, a local prospector discovers gold and is murdered. To date, Richard Dreyfus has 131 acting credits, and he's still going, folks. There you go. Uh, personally, for many, many years... I thought Richard Dreyfus was a bit of a tool and really full of himself and without humility. I think he was. I also think that he's matured and gotten a little more uh, humble over the years, and I kind of like him now. Uh, I, I, I just never felt good about the way he um, portrayed himself in real life and I just think he's gotten to be an all around all around better person as he's gotten older. Anyways, we're gonna move on to Ron Howard. Uh he played Steve in American Graffiti. His real name, Ronald William Howard. He was born in fifty four. He's an American director, producer, screenwriter, actor. Boy, you know, done everything. Uh most of you know uh, Ron Howard started his career as a child actor before transitioning to a career as a director, uh, which is what his life has been now for 30, 40 years or whatever. And his career, his total career has been like over six decades uh, long now. He's received two Academy Awards for, this is not nomination, kids. These are awards. Two Academy Awards. Four Emmy Awards, two 
Golden Globe Awards and a Grammy Award. What the fuck was that Ooh. for? DJ, do you have any idea? Anybody, what did he win a Grammy Award for? Anyways, he was awarded the National Medal of Arts in 2003. He was inducted into the Television Hall of Fame in 2013. He has two star, two stars on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. That's for his contributions to film and television. And who knew? Who knew that his first theatrical movie as an actor would be a stupid-ass movie called Eat My Dust? (laughs) But it was. That was a... Excuse me. That was a Roger Corman movie and of course he specialized in cheap assed movies and I love Roger Corman and I love that he made a deal with Ron Howard and said look buddy kid star in the stupid movie I'm doing called Eat My Dust and if you do well I'm going to give you another movie that you can act in, but more importantly, direct. And Ron Howard took that deal. And the movie he directed, his first directorial effort would be Grand Theft Auto in 1977. Just a step above Eat My Dust. But you know, folks, that's how you gotta begin sometime. Mm Mm-hmm. So if, uh, well, if you don't know, I'll fill you in really, really fast. Little Ronnie Howard was a little kid who was in uh, L.A. And his father, who was an actor, got his sons, uh, Ron and some other stupid kid that wound up in Star Trek, the the original series, (laughs) among other things. Uh and he would be in an episode of the Twilight Zone. But he would gain national fame for playing little Opie Taylor, the son of Sheriff Andy Taylor. Uh, that was Andy Griffith, by the way, on the sitcom called conveniently The Andy Griffith Show for eight whole years from 1960 to 68, where you literally saw this little kid grow up uh, to be. A much older little kid, but he was much older, right? After eight years, he was, you know, very older. Uh, during this time, uh, he also appeared in a 1962 musical, The Music Man, which was a critical commercial sex, uh, success on the big screen. And after Andy Griffith uh, went off the air, well, Ronnie, little Ronnie Howard, who was, you know, starting to be a teen... Well, he wound up in many, 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 many television appearances up to 1973. And then his big break, our movie tonight, American Graffiti, his big break. And later, that movie would lead to him becoming a household name. For playing Richie Cunningham on the sitcom Happy Days, which... Relies totally on the success 
of our movie tonight, American Graffiti. So Happy Days went on astonishingly with Ron Howard from 74 to 1980. Can you believe it? By the way, 1980 is when Howard's, uh, uh, Ronnie Howard said, boo bye because I've had just about enough of this. And besides, I got other plans. The freaking show went on for another four years. It ended in 1984. Good God. At any, at any rate, uh, uh, somewhere in there, Howard got to play the second lead in a John Wayne's final film, The Shootist. Uh, but uh, listen, Ron Howard, after doing his two car movies wound up doing a series of things that just kind of one by one let him up the ladder. This includes films like Night Shift in 82, Splash in 84, Cocoon in 85, Willow in 88. He did this thriller called Backdraft with uh, what's-his-face, you know, Kurt Russell. Uh, 1991. Uh, he did this uh, newspaper comedy drama film, The Paper, in 94. Well, he just went on to be bigger and better. And he won the freaking Academy Award for Best Picture and the Academy Award for Best Director in 2001 for A Beautiful Mind. He was nominated again in 2008 for Frost Nixon. Uh, uh, He continued uh, to directing historical dramas as the acclaimed Apollo 13. And and, uh, he did that in 95. He did Cinderella Man, 2005. So many others. Uh, The Grinch is still Christmas. Oh, he did those damn movies. (laughs) The Da Vinci Code. Angels and Demons and Inferno, those Robert Langdon movies. He did all those. Anyways, talk about someone who's just had a stellar, stellar career from start to end. Ron Howard. There you go. All right. So uh, moving along here, the next member of our cast was um, the inter- – the, uh, the betrothed to be of Ron Howard's character, Steve. And uh, the character's name was Laurie. Now, this was played by Cindy Williams. And uh, Cindy was born in California. As a child, she dreamed of being an actress. And she used to create and perform her own plays. And as she grew, she wished that one day, Debbie Reynolds would see her in one of those amateur shows and whisk her away and put her in a film. Another thing that brought show business into her life was her alcoholic's father's alcoholic father's imitations of comics like Jackie Gleason and Milton Berle. Williams worked as a waitress while she auditioned for commercials, television guest spots, and feature films. Her first step to fame was a movie in which she tap danced with Gene Kelly. Well, she stepped on Gene Kelly's foot, left, left her, which left her really embarrassed. But she landed important film roles early in her career. Then, 
So Williams began acting on television in the early 70s, including guest appearances on The Nanny and the Professor in 71. Oh, I love The Nanny and the Professor. <laughs> Did you ever see that? I have not. Oh. Uh, and in uh, later in the same year, she starred in six episodes of a short-lived series called The Funny Side. Now, American Graffiti was actually Cindy Williams' sixth film, although probably her biggest part at the time. And in the same year in 73, she would also appear in The Killing Kind, (laughs) which was a film about an ex-convict with an appetite for violent relationships with women. Now, if I were her then, I probably would have gotten a new agent right after that film. Um, but anyways, ah. over the next five years, she would star in three films, including with Gene Hackman, The Conversation in 74, which was directed by Francis Ford Coppola. And it was about a paranoid secretive surveillance expert who has a crisis of conscience when he suspects that the couple he's spying on will be murdered. murdered. And in 75... Cindy Williams would star in Mr. Rico, and it was a film with Dean Martin in which a San Francisco attorney was hired to defend a black militant accused of murder. (laughs) As a result of her work on American Graffiti, Cindy Williams was cast alongside Ron Howard as a recurring guest on Happy Days, and she had five episodes along with her co-star Penny Marshall. Back in 75. Good and, Lord. They they were guested on that show five times before Laverne and Shirley. Holy Jesus. And yeah. the following year in 76, uh, they were teamed up in a sort of spinoff named after their own characters, Laverne and Shirley, which was similarly nostalgically set uh, to American Graffiti, although... Laverne and Shirley took place in the 50s, like uh, happy days. So Williams would leave Laverne and Shirley after a long run in 1982 when, you know, they moved the show to Hollywood. But it was for good reason. She was leaving to be the mother of her first child, her daughter. Cindy Williams would star in one film and two television shows over the next five years. So, you know, getting back on her feet. Uh, but this included something called Euphoria in 84 with Harry Dean Stanton. Um, it, it involved, uh, you know, flying saucers and... God, I vaguely remember that. Yeah. And uh, in 85, she starred in Joanna. Now, this was a TV movie, which was actually a pilot for an unproduced series. It was about a woman who moves to the city to be with her boyfriend. And then after getting dumped, she gets a job as the head of a trucking company. And that was back in 85. I think that, uh, that's a little modern for 85. Uh, I would like to think something like that would have worked, uh, you know, within a decade of that. But anyways, she would continue to alternate working on television and an occasional movie into the nineties. In 89, she would star alongside, coincidentally, Tom Skerritt. And uh, it was in Big Man on Campus. Now, this was sort of an update to Hunchback of Notre Dame, but it was set in UCLA. Now, in 1990, Williams would star, and this is why Tom Skerritt's ironic, 
1990, Cindy Williams would be cast and star in an unaired pilot for the Steel Magnolias film. They were trying to make it into a TV series. Wow. I can totally see why those characters and that location could support an ongoing TV series, but I'm kind of, I'm kind of glad they never made it. And, uh, you know, uh, due to the magic of the internet, folks, if you're curious, uh, you can actually find on YouTube the unaired pilot with oh. Steel Magnolias. And Ooh. it's actually quite interesting to see Cindy Williams play the mother role in that part. Don't she have a southern accent? Well, of course. All uh, right. So thereafter, uh, Williams's work would include occasional guest appearances on shows such as Lois and Clark and Touched by Angels, an angel in the night. Oh, Touched by <coughs> No, it's, oh, that's a risque it's show, not the but... unauthorized biography of George Lucas. <laughs> wow. <laughs> in 2000, uh, I, I have to grab a. Uh, a little drink here. Oh my goodness! As we get some nice pictures of Tom Skerritt in our chat room because we do do this live, folks, and uh, we're on YouTube. But uh, you know, drop by, click on the uh, the blue mask, the game controller on our webpage. That's Discord, our chat room, and uh, Matt from Chubs Gone Wild and Big Gay Sex Show has uh, put some eye candy in the chat room. So one momentito. Okay. In 2000, after 18 years, Cindy Williams would divorce her husband, Bill Hudson. Now, this guy was a musician, but he'd also been previously married to Goldie Hawn. So, you know, he stuck around the business. And in the decade before Cindy's passing, because we did sadly lose her this year at the age of 75, Williams would average at least one TV appearance Every year, her last program was a series for Amazon, which I do believe is still available with over a dozen episodes. It's more of a mini series, but it's about the daily life of a young actress in New York City. And Williams played the lead character's grandmother in that. So I will also quickly make an honorable mention in the early or the early 90s, I think it was in 89, Cindy Williams did a really enjoyable film called Save the Dog. Now, I believe this was a Disney Sunday movie, which they used to do for NBC after the the wonderful world of Disney period of the 70s went away. Um, and this has never been released on home video, I do believe. So, uh, I think you have to look under a rock, but you might find it. Anyways, lots of cameos in this film called Save the Dog, including Charlotte Ray. And it was all about a young woman who's working different odd jobs just to get by and make ends meet and trying to raise money for her dog that needs an operation. Wonderfully okay. charming film that shows how much heart Cindy Williams had when she played a character. All right, nice. I feel like... And God bless her for landing Laverne and Shirley, right? It set her up for the rest of her life in terms of money, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, But had she never gotten that, I feel like Cindy Williams really could have been uh, an in-demand 
character actor in the movies. I think I think she was that good. You know, I, it's kind of it's kind of like comedic comedic actors. I would like to have seen what she could have done in a more serious part because sure. some people play those parts and you think, oh, you know, that that was an okay performance. But I would like to have seen her being something like. Uh, of Kathy Bates's stature in a, like a Stephen King kind of movie. Uh, yeah. She could have played crazy. I bet she probably could have, but <laughs> uh, in another, in another alternative universe, I, I would have liked to have seen that screen career of Cindy Williams. Um, so uh, by the way, folks in the chat, in the chat room, uh, because, um, Discord is what it is. Uh, it'll show names that are people that could be listening in on our show tonight. But, in fact, they could be doing anything from playing a game to being in someone else's Discord chat room. It's, it's one of the disappointing things about Discord is the names that come up, I, I never know, are... Are you guys really here for uh, our show tonight, or you know you're just doing something else? Anyways, it's it's just blah blah blah. Anyways, hardly ever worth mentioning. <clears throat> uh, DJ, mm-hmm. American Graffiti. Um, <clears throat> uh, interestingly enough, this was a very important movie for my parents. Mm-hmm. They were the right age. To have been youngsters when, you know, they could see themselves in this movie. So that always tickled me. Um, My parents dated. And one of the things they did on dates was go to car crash shows. What the fuck were they called? They weren't called car crash shows. Demolition Derby. Drag racing or something. I don't know. I think drag racing. I'm, or maybe it was Demolition. I don't know. But it was stuff that happened around the community, around local tracks, and stupid kids with their stupid hopped-up cars would ride around a track and crash into each other. And it was, you know, big fun, apparently. Anyways, my parents dated by going to those things, like on the weekends, that's what they did. <laughs> so American graffiti. Um, so it tickles me to realize that. Uh, for me, the nostalgia that this movie brought up isn't all. I mean, I was born in '62. I kind of remembered the music and shit that was being played. Uh, and so American Graffiti, nostalgia-wise, doesn't feel all that far away from me. Mm-hmm. So I enjoyed it. I particularly enjoyed um, that this movie looked and felt like nothing else. Uh, yeah, it, it was this intercut thing where there were several stories going on at once and you would just go from one character to the next group and you'd go back to the first group and you'd go back and you'd go back and forth and it was all on this uh, night uh, on the the streets of the city and the music 
By the way, uh, there's a soundtrack, of course, to American Graffiti that was incredibly popular. But if you listen to the music in the movie, almost every song is distorted because you're hearing it on multiple radios of all the cars on the street. And you hear that music very, very distorted. Uh, And it's almost present in every scene in the background, one way or another. Maybe it's really faded out, you know? Uh, And it's really, really in the background, or maybe... But it's all distorted as if you're hearing these songs come out of everybody's car radio. It's amazing. It just gives you the sense of time and place that's incredible. The end. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, um, the, the nostalgia factor certainly is real because, um, well, my folks didn't meet, uh, you know, uh, with uh, the car scene and the cruising, but uh, they did meet at a roller skating party um, yeah. you know, around that time, probably, <laughs> but, um, you know, um, something that I find interesting is how the, uh, the, the local greasy spoon, I guess you'd call the diner. Mel's diner. Yeah. That they end up, uh, going to in this has, uh, those little pull up stations with the, the, the menu and the car hops come out and sure. serve your food right at your car window. But right. so, yeah, yeah, go ahead. I'm oh, sorry. I was just going to say, but what were they doing to get to the car, Toppy? Well, they were on roller skates, right? Is they that what you're were, saying? Yes. Now, I don't know if it still is that way, but there is a similarly styled uh, chain of restaurants called Sonic. And you pull up to a space outside the restaurant and you've got an order board there. And they do have people that bring out your food. Now, uh, 10 plus years ago, I remember going to one and they used to have people on roller skates or roller blades. Yeah. And I, re- I remember living next door to one. So it was practically my kitchen for a time, mm-hmm. but they would have signs outside for the employees to let them know that there was going to be a visit from corporate and that they needed to be on their skates. Okay. Because uh-huh. <laughs> it's part of their funny. theme. Well, you and I and Billy and Tommy have been to Sonic several mm-hmm. times on our way through Pennsylvania, and there was never never anybody on roller skates. Right. I think that would be an OSHA violation, possibly. Yeah. <laughs> now, here's the thing about Mel's Diner in American Graffiti. Uh, it was all part of that incredible car culture where, first of all, having a hopped up classic car, like that was just, it was just like everything everyone wanted. And at that time, cars were mechanical enough that you could learn how to build them and make them go and stuff. It was way before all the computer shit mm. entered cars. And and, and it, you, you could learn with a wrench and a whatever uh, 
to get cars going and and hopped up and all that and it was just a thing it was a thing it was a total thing besides you could have sex in them mm-hmm. it was post world <laughs> war 2 life for teenagers mm-hmm. and it was a huge huge deal especially especially in california and hodesto <laughs> And uh, everyone. Uh, and so, well, sure, some enterprising person would think of making a restaurant to cater to all those rodsters. So, sure, there, uh, McDonald's originated in California. Well, that was just a place where people could pull in with their cars and get a goddamn burger. Mm-hmm. Well, Mel Steiner, same thing. Anyways, car culture, it was huge. It was a whole deal. Let's talk about the end of the movie, DJ, because we do have to wrap this up. Uh, The end of the movie puts a somber cap on everything Mm -hmm. uh, that we just that we saw through this whole time. And we know that we're watching teenagers at a time in their lives where everything's changing. They've got to make decisions on where they're going to go to college, if they're going to go to college, if they even can go to college, or college isn't for them, whatever. They've got to make all these decisions. Everything's on the line. They've got to leave friends, maybe. Lifelong friends. Uh, And that's what some of them do. And the really somber thing is at the end of this movie you realize that the Vietnam War is right there Mm -hmm. and the characters that we've just watched cavort around the screen as their young hot selves having sex riding around getting drunk they're going to go into Vietnam some of them aren't going to come back Mm. And that's the sober ending of this movie. And it's a little bit of a slap in the face and like a, oh, it brings you, it just brings you around. It just brings you around from that time when you're riding around and then there's the Vietnam War. And it really lands a blow. It really is impactful. It's really strong. It's a strong ending. Mm -hmm. Now, I have not seen it, but I am aware that just a few short years after this, they actually made a sequel uh, to continue the story. And and is that my understanding that it fleshed out the backgrounds of more of the characters? Apparently, it was a total flop and a failure. (laughs) I don't think... George Lucas had anything whatsoever to do with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it did attract um, the same actors to come back, Ron Howard, Cindy Williams, etc. Um, but it uh, I've never seen it, and you know, most people wish it had <laughs> never been made. Oh, uh, but you're talking to the same person that liked the uh, second Poseidon adventure because Sally, okay. Sally Fields was in it. <laughs> so are you saying you've seen it? Not yet, but you know, well, I, you I want to, you want I to. kind of need to, cause I have that affinity for, um, you know, the, the hits that fell from the box office. <laughs> right, right. I, I get you. I get you. <laughs> 
Well, Toppy, we are uh, around the end of the hour here, so we're out here near the lobby where we typically do our old-fashioned Beverly Hillbillies wave. But, uh, you know, we, we kind of talk about uh, things you might enjoy if you like things like American Graffiti. This is what we call our snack tray. So Yeah, what uh, what do you have to recommend if people like this? What uh, what do you have to say about another movie they might like? Well, I'm going to recommend a film for um, about a decade later. It's in a similar vein, but it's a little bit more comedic. Uh, and this is called... Well, it's about a group of Southern California high school students that are enjoying their most important subjects, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. <laughs> and this is a film that stars Sean Penn and Jennifer Jason Lee, and of course, my favorite Martian, Ray Walston. I'm <laughs> going to recommend that you watch Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Uh, something I haven't seen until, I don't know, five years ago. I always thought it was a stupid teen <laughs> sex romp. Boy, was I wrong. <laughs> Boy, was I wrong. Fast Times at Ridgemont High was directed by a woman, and it tells the story of several characters from a woman's point of view, and it is not just a stupid teen romp movie. It is far more than that. So please see Fast Times at Ridgemont High if you haven't ever seen it. And it's funny. I mean, it's a hell of a lot of funny movie, but it's got a whole lot more going for it than just a lot of ha-ha. Oh, anyways, the movie I'm recommending, if you liked American Graffiti, you might like a 1983 American comedy drama film. It's called The Big Chill. It was directed by Lawrence Kasdan, and it starred this whole ensemble of people you didn't know back then, but you know now. Kind of like American Graffiti. You didn't know any of those people, but you know them now. Anyways, The Big Chill uh, started the career of Tom Berenger. It uh, started the career of Glenn Close, Jeff Goldblum, William Hurt, Kevin Kline, Mary Kay Place, Meg Tilly, Jobeth Williams. That was the start of their career. The plot focuses on a group of baby boomers who attended the University of Michigan, and they're reuniting after 15 years, uh, just after their friend Alex died by, dies by suicide. Uh, that's what brings them back together. And just like American Graffiti, The Big Chill had an acclaimed soundtrack, and the movie... You know, has scene after scene that features this music of that day, and it features tracks by Claire, Creedence Claire, uh, Clearwater, Revival, Aretha Franklin, Marvin Gaye, The Temptations, The Rolling Stones, Three Dog Night. Anyways, it's a lot like American Graffiti in all those respects, just a very different time. So, if you liked American Graffiti, you might like the big chill. Okay. So, um, you know, we are out here at the lobby. And, of course, you know, there's uh, lots of things that went on here before, including magic acts. And, well, we want to know what's happening next. So, Toppy, grab that bag of coins for us. I'll grab that bag, GJ. Yeah, baby. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Here we go. E. 
Okay, I got it. I'll open it up here, but you got to read it, sir, okay? Okay, open that capsule. <laughs> uh, listen, next next time on that name, Usha, it's by the producer of the original Battlestar Galactica. It stars former star of NBC's The Doctors. We're talking about Gil Gerard and the burgeoning television star Aaron Gray. What are we talking about? It's a late 70s action-adventure sci-fi television series. A 20th century astronaut emerges out of 500 years of suspended animation into a future time to become Earth's greatest hero. Next time, Buck Rogers. In the 25th century, the television series. That's next time on Met Name and Show. You're going to look for that on Friday, October 20th. Yay! Oh, as uh, you know, we will likely be discussing the fashions of the seventies. Oh, uh, <laughs> oh, that Gil Gerard, uh, Aaron Gray. But uh, there, uh, Aaron Gray still likes to, uh, loves to go to those uh, science fiction conventions. I got snowed in with her once, and she really, yes, um, back in two thousand six. Um, there was a they they call it a storm of the century. It, it was actually oh. at the hotel that we go to, which of course is closing now after some sixty years of existence. Yeah. Uh, well, so next time, folks, join us for baby 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 baby. Who was who did that? What, oh no, my goodness, Toppy! He's a famous voice actor. Well, did a lot yeah, of cartoons. No, I know Mel Blank does it. But yes. What was his name? What was his name? Oh, Twicky. Uh, Twig tw- Twinky. Twicky. Twicky. Yes. Oh, my God, folks. Don't miss it. I mean, Gil Gerard could have been Lee Majors' cousin, for all I can... No. No, that's not bad. That's not bad. They they could be brothers. Mm -hmm. Totally could be brothers. All right, sir. Who did we have in the chat room tonight that we know of? Uh, Well, we do this live, folks, and we're awfully happy when (laughs) our friends come by. Uh, tonight we had the ever mysterious Cronehaven. Uh, we may or may not have had Lamont Creston. Not sure. We definitely had Matt from Chubbs Gone Wild. Also the big gay sex show, the Daddy Ears. We had, as always, our special friend Tommy Hatchbrun, who here, uh, who is here, uh, oh, just every week for us. And we may or may not have had Vernal. Veritable Virgo. Anyways, we're happy when anybody comes by. Um, just uh, when we feel like we're doing a show for you guys listening, it makes all the difference. So thank you. You know, I think I'm going to start a new thing. If you're in the Discord chat room and we don't hear from you, we're going to assume that you're lingering out at the bar and keeping Gertie busy. Oh, God. All right. Well, Toppy, if you would say goodnight in the ways of the old days of radio. Very well, then. Uh, Good night, Gracie. Thank you for listening to Matinee Minutia. Our show streams live on the first and third Friday of the month. Go to matineeminutia.com, click the YouTube icon for live video, 
enter Discord for chat. You can find our show anywhere you listen to podcasts. Visit our webpage at matineeminutia.com. Tweet us on Twitter at Matinee Minutia. Find our group on Facebook. Have an idea for a show? Or why not let us know how we're doing? Email us at matineeminutia at gmail.com. 